Hey there, Internet. I'm Annie. I'm Kit. I'm Mac. And this is I Will Fight You, a podcast where we've been turning opinion into stone-cold facts since 1986. Today's fact, Ebenezer Scrooge is best when he stars opposite Kermit the Frog. Now, if you're listening to this right after our last episode, you might be thinking to yourself, hang on a second, they were gonna cover Garzy's wing next. We technically did. But that recording's cursed. Garzy's wing is not only a blight on human memory, but apparently defies podcast recording as well, because all of our shit got scrambled for that. And we decided that instead of re-watching Garzy's wing, we would just skip over to the next one, which was something that actually brings us joy. <laughs> So we're going to talk about the Muppet Christmas Carol. We'll still do Garzy's Wing just, you know, later. Sometime in the future when we have recovered and can maybe watch Garzy's Wing again. It is <laughs> rough. I love it. Episodes two and three of that OVA are rough. Look, here's the point. Last year we did a Christmas episode we kind of hated the whole time. We did the Swan Princess Christmas, which we thought was going to be fun and turned out to be awful and nobody had any fun. So this year we're watching a movie that we all fucking love. I have seen this movie so many times. It's an annual rewatch. Maybe sometimes it's a July rewatch too. Sometimes you just need your dose of Kermit. So here's the thing. There's been a lot of Christmas carols over the year. There's been a lot of Scrooges. There's been some Christmas carols that are just called Scrooge or Scrooged, as the case may be. And you guys, I think Michael Caine is the best one. Michael Caine is the best Scrooge. He's by far the best Scrooge. All respect to Patrick Stewart, but Michael Caine is better. Like, his performance in and of itself, just taken as a singular entity, is spectacular. And then you add sort of the hard mode effect of he was pretty much the only human actor surrounded by a whole bunch of Muppets. This is like Scrooge MLG speedrun tactics. <laughs> <laughs> it also helps that like A Christmas Carol is a dismal fucking story. And basically the only way to make it watchable is to add Muppets. There's a production of A Christmas Carol that I used to go to a whole bunch at the Indianapolis Repertory Theater when I lived back in Indiana. And that was a great show. The thing that made it really good was that like there wasn't any singular narrator. All of the narration sections were performed entirely by the rest of the cast in some sort of like fourth wall breaking hive mind narration. It worked very well. That sounds terrifying. It was great. <laughs> the ghost of Christmas yet to come had a very tall hat and a huge crop. Yay. There was whipping. Oh, God. So Muppets. Muppets, though. Muppets are different. Where do we even start? As long as most of us have, have grown up, those of us in the podcast, the Muppets have been like associated with doing a previously existing story, but in their style. And Muppet Christmas Carol came along and that sort of started a new trend of actually just adapting things. Previously, they had just done their own movies. They did a heist movie. They did a road trip movie. They did however you would describe Muppets Take Manhattan. A Broadway movie? I guess. With amnesia? <laughs> and a roller skate chase scene. Muppets Take Manhattan is a very confusing movie. But it does have Orson Welles in it. And this is also the first Muppet movie of a different era. This is the first one after Jim Henson's death. Yeah, and it actually has at the start, like, In Memoriam of Jim Henson, which makes me cry every single time I watch this movie. Oh, yeah. Jim Henson was a singularly good person. And also this was his son, Brian's directorial debut. This is also, like, the first time that we ever actually see Gonzo and Rizzo the Rat as buddies, which is so weird because, like, they realized at this point, oh, yeah, these two characters actually click very well. Yeah, they're very good. Pretty much after that, it's pretty much always Gonzo and Rizzo as besties. That's the state of affairs that holds like right up until Muppets from Space. Oh, we don't have to talk about Muppets from Space. <laughs> I like Muppets from Space. F*** 
you. Really? Oh, we might have to fight about that at some point. That's interesting. (laughs) So, wait. No, I finally figured it out. I know how to start this. Marley was dead to begin with. Actually, it's the Marleys. Right. Because they decided they didn't want to break up the band when they were casting Jacob Marley. So this movie starts with uh, a really, really great uh, panning scenery shot over like the gorgeous fairy tale London they built for this movie in a, in like a studio. It's like a miniature for like the big like sweeping rooftop camera shots, I think. And then it like artfully transitions into the actual set piece. The set is like the World of Warcraft version of London in the 1800s. That's one of the things that I really love so much about the Muppet Christmas Carol. The whole set itself is a character. It's all these awkward angles and cartoony looks, and it's just like, it's clearly fake as well. So we start with the Christmas market, which has a lot of good Muppet sight gags that we won't bother to try and describe because it's not nearly as funny as when you hear it. There is a bit with a Christmas turkey named Clyde, which makes the fact that there's an actual dead turkey being eaten later in the movie kind of weird. And then we see Gonzo and Rizzo selling Christmas apples and Rizzo's eating them all. (laughs) And Gonzo introduces himself as Charles Dickens. That's right. This entire movie is going to be narrated by Gonzo. Exactly. This whole movie is done in character. Like even in the opening credits, it's like Gonzo as Charles Dickens, Kermit the Frog as Bob Cratchit. They're Muppets, people. We're doing this. <laughs> I want to say there was an interview with Kermit at one point that was like, the difference between a Muppet and a puppet is that a puppet is a cloth animal with somebody's hand in it, and I'm a Muppet. <laughs> Here's the best thing. Rizzo was basically just put in here to say like, no, this is fake. What are you doing? This is absolutely fake. <laughs> Meanwhile, Gonzo has absolute knowledge of the story. Yeah. <laughs> and Gonzo's like, this is going to happen right now. And then it happens. And Rizzo's like, what? How do you do that? <laughs> There's this bit that I always see in the outtakes of this scene. It's the same bloopers video that's been circulated since like 1995. And it's this thing that I always think about, which is Rizzo keeps asking the wrong line. And then Gonzo slowly turns to him and says, you have been asking me that all day. And I don't have an answer for you because it's not in the script. And he hits him with the apple twice. Uh, You gotta really admire the Muppet actor's ability to just stay in character the entire time. That's the thing about, like, really good puppeteers is that I don't think they ever quite realize whether they're in character or not. Puppeteers are dedicated on a level I cannot fully comprehend. They're really good. Gonzo has absolute knowledge of this entire world, and that is maybe the most terrifying thing that one can ever imagine. It makes about as much sense as anything else to do with Gonzo. Actually, you know what? Yeah, I could believe that Gonzo is a god in another world. So Gonzo begins narrating the story, which is the Marleys were dead to begin with. Scrooge comes around the corner exactly when Gonzo says he's going to. And that's when we get our first song. It's important to note that while Scrooge appears, we do not see his face yet. In fact, throughout this entire song, we do not see his face. It's true. Like, the whole song is all about the scuttlebutt about how people feel about Scrooge and what they whisper about him. And it's really, really good. And really, really mean. (laughs) Oh, yeah. I still really like the opening of this song, how it sort of has a very sinister sounding opening couple of lines. And then it goes into the refrain and everything's much more chipper. Yeah. And the whole song is basically about how nobody actually likes Scrooge that he's a real mean jerk. My favorite part is like this street caroling bunch of ladies who in another universe would be Loki fans <laughs> singing about how he must be so lonely. He must be so sad. He's just a wooby. He didn't do anything wrong. And then he passes them. They look up to see if he's going to donate anything for the song. And he just walks past and they're like, nah. <laughs> 
you're right. This is like absolutely a Loki stand. And we just bring this up and dismiss it out of hand. It's beautiful. Yeah, sure, Scrooge is redeemed at the end, but he's got to work on it. Four different people have to come back from the dead to tell him to stop. Yeah. He also has to be shamed by every single ghost. Anyway, at the end of the song, Scrooge turns around and we finally see his face and it's Michael Caine. (laughs) And of course, his first f***ing line is humbug. So Scrooge goes into his office and here's where we have our first major departure from the text, aside from, you know, Gonzo being Charles Dickens. And our major change is that not only does Ebenezer Scrooge employ Bob Cratchit, but also like seven rats. Rat accountants. There's a joke in there somewhere. I mean, these guys are largely just here to be chorus members and also because like the little rat jokes in Muppet Steak Manhattan was maybe the only part that really worked solidly. They, much like Rizzo, are just kind of here to be a chorus. So Scrooge walks in and there's a Muppet in a chair and Scrooge immediately glares at this guy and then turns to Bob Cratchit and says, who's this? This Muppet has a name. I can't find it anywhere and I forgot what it is. But he's here because he can't make his mortgage payments and his house is being foreclosed on. And he goes on this really long, amazing monologue about how I'm the, I'm the stone you can't squeeze blood from. And then as Michael Caine picks him up and tosses him out the door, he's like, thank you for not shouting at me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Michael Caine is completely silent throughout this whole thing. This is the beauty of Michael Caine's performance is that he takes his role very seriously. Yeah, he apparently said to Brian Henson as they were getting ready for this thing he was like yeah i'm not gonna do anything muppety i'm not gonna wink at the camera or anything or be goofy i'm gonna treat this like a 100 dramatic role i think i read somewhere that that was like the only condition on which he would accept the part it's michael kane being michael kane dead serious surrounded by muppets and it's amazing so after this he is of course interrupted by several people in a row because ebenezer scrooge can't have five minutes to himself first his nephew fred comes in fred's one of the only major human actors that we have and he's a button bright little dumpling oh he is. oh he's great he just wants to invite his uncle scrooge over for christmas dinner and scrooge is like nah and he's like oh well that's okay he's so horrifically charming and he's also snarking very admirably with scrooge <laughs> there's a really great back and forth there most people keep this part of the text from a christmas carol because this is absolutely some of the best writing this is charles dickens dialogue at its best as fred is inviting him to dinner and as scrooge is being a huge ass and Fred is being charming nonetheless, uh, that's when we have a couple of solicitors enter. Because as Gonzo helpfully explains to us, it is very common at this point for solicitors to come around collecting donations for the poor on Christmas. And who are these solicitors? They are none other than Bunsen and Beaker. Dr. Butson Honeydew and his assistant Beaker, and they are both wearing little hats. My dream job would be makes Victorian costumes for Muppets. I'm going to say that right now. <laughs> Like, if I could burn down my entire life as it stands right now and go make Victorian costumes for Muppets for a living, I would do that. (laughs) I feel like I would be saddened by the loss of our friendship, but also that is something that you are called to do, and I respect that. So yeah, Bunsen and Beaker are here to collect donations for the poor and homeless, and uh, Fred tosses, like, a nickel at them. Scrooge talks about how he doesn't like Christmas. Fred pops in, that is true. And then Scrooge (laughs) says, I don't have any money to waste on you. And Fred's like, that is certainly not true. (laughs) Fred is a snark machine, and he's amazing. Also, I was listening to the soundtrack for this on Spotify. There was a song here. They had gotten to the point where they actually, like, recorded it and everything. It's this little ragtimey song about how if you don't know how to be nice on Christmas, you should just, like, give us money. (laughs) 
uh, Beaker has a solo. Me, 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 me. Yeah, it sounds exactly like that. Me, 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 Take it, Beaker. Me, 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 me. Kind of sad that didn't make it in. But on the other hand, I'm very happy that didn't make it in. Yeah, it definitely would have like slowed down everything here. We need to get to the ghosts. That's what everybody's here for. Yeah. Exactly. We get to the point where Scrooge is like, are there no prisons? Are there no workhouses? If I had my say, every man who walked around with a Merry Christmas on his lips would be buried with a stake of holly in his heart and boiled alive in his own pudding. Though I think they went for baked in his own Christmas turkey here because we're Americans. We don't do puddings. Yeah, there's a lot of mentions of turkey in this movie and they stand out a lot. We don't have puddings. We're not sure what you're talking about when you people talk about puddings. (laughs) Is it a series of flans? Is it a meat slurry? We don't know. So these people are thrown out. I think Butson has several like gasps of shock and insult. Yeah, several indignant beaker gasps. They're amazing. And also Fred hung up a Christmas wreath as he was leaving. And as Scrooge throws Bunsen and Beaker out, he tears down the wreath. And then as he's looking around for somewhere to throw the wreath, he hears good king wences let's look down on the feast of steve and bean bunny <laughs> and he opens the door and there's bean bunny first he slams the door in his face and then he opens it again as bean bunny is walking away and bean bunny's like <gasps> and then he gets the wreath thrown at him so right after we get our really good comedic beat of bean bunny getting nailed with a christmas wreath we get a scene that's actually from the book which is bob cratchit asking if he and the accountants can have an extra shovel of coal for the fire scrooge of course notes that uh that would basically be coming out of their paycheck scrooge threatening his employees with unemployment for wanting to have safe working conditions make me think that there could be a modern Christmas Carol starring Jeff Bezos. Oh, God. (laughs) Except that would work under the assumption that Jeff Bezos is a redeemable person. This is true. This is followed up by Kermit coming back and uh, asking if maybe they could have the day off for Christmas tomorrow. Scourge reacts poorly to the idea and then the rats are like, no, 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 it was his idea. It was was the frog's idea. (laughs) But Kermit manages to uh, convince Scrooge got that sentence. Kermit manages (laughs) to convince Scrooge that since nobody will be open on Christmas Day for him to do business with, he might as well close. Poor excuse for picking a man's pocket every 25th of December. So yeah, he ends up giving them the day off with a condition that they come in early on Boxing Day. Which is not all that uncommon in the modern working environment. Shout out to all my friends in retail hell. Scrooge leaves for the day and then the atmosphere in the counting house noticeably lightens because it's time to close up and go home, which is again like, hey, retail friends it's only one more sleep till christmas Ah, i love this song a lot it's very cute and kermit the frog is a very nice frog he's a very good frog so like we have this whole song they're all sweeping up and cleaning and we have a lot of just cute gags with the rats being very small and having to put away people size books And then they leave and it's the Penguin Christmas skating party. We break the song to participate in the Penguin Christmas party because they figured out some good puppet techniques here. And they wanted to show all of us, hey, we can make puppets skate now. By the way, apparently it's canonical that all of the penguins and the Muppets are gender neutral. That's awesome. They have a canon. In the Muppet Vision 3D thing, the, the penguins are the orchestra. And at some point, they get very upset at the Swedish chef who's running the projector, and they shoot a cannon at the audience. So the penguin skating party finishes up. The penguins are just like, okay, goodbye, we're going now. And they head out. Kermit has one last verse with the bookkeepers, and then just has this beautiful little moment where he's standing in the square, watching the stars, and says, there's only one more sleep till Christmas 
day. And then a shooting star goes by and he just has this little face. You know, that face that Kermit does. A lot of people caption it as screaming internally. That's not correct. No. He's very happy. He's doing that little like nodding and harming thing to himself where he's just like, yeah, yeah, this is good. Yes, Kermit is a beautiful, gentle soul. And then, of course, as he passes the corner, he does not see poor little Bean Bunny wrapped in newspapers and shivering, sleeping on the street. Bean Bunny's going to freeze to death tonight, kids. Merry Christmas. He'll be fine. He's got to go say, it's Christmas Day, the next morning. Yeah, he is straight up credited in the movie as the it's Christmas Day boy. (laughs) He's a good boy. So... We have to come back now to Scrooge, because remember, this this movie's about Ebenezer Scrooge. We had our fun with Kermit singing a song, and now we have to do the scary bit with the ghosts. The Robert Marley visit is played in lots of different ways, and this one actually does like a highlights reel of it. We start to realize what's going on with the Marleys are dead to begin with, because we do the doorknob bit. The door knocker on Scrooge's door straight up anamorphs into... Is that Statler? Turns into Statler. (laughs) Hold on, I'm getting an update from my husband who has messaged me on Discord. Waldmorph. (laughs) I want you to know that none of you can hear me, but I've put two fingers to my headphone earpiece like a friggin' newscaster. Because I guess I'm just dedicated to this bit. So the doorknob turns into Statler. And screams at him. Rizzo and Gonzo try to uh, follow Scrooge into his house. But Rizzo is too busy looking for a bag of jelly beans that he lost in the snow. So they don't make it in. And the door closes right in Gonzo's face. And then he continues to narrate anyway, despite the fact that his nose has been slightly crushed. (laughs) It has curled in on itself even more than usual. We also skipped over a really good bit where Rizzo and Gonzo are trying to see into the counting house, but it's very dirty. So Gonzo grabs Rizzo, smushes him against the window, and starts rubbing him against the window. To clean it. Then Rizzo just looks him dead in the eye and says, thank you for making me a part of this. (laughs) (laughs) To which Gonzo's just like, you're welcome. And this is why Gonzo and Rizzo work really well as a pair, because nothing Rizzo says ever registers as sarcasm to Gonzo. Anyway, back to the house. They can't get in because, like, Gonzo is an omnipotent narrator and Rizzo is his sidekick here. But also, Gonzo can't get inside, like, locked doors. Like, he's got to get through the backyard and then, like, encourage Rizzo to climb up onto the top of the gate and then fall 10 feet where he's then dropped because Gonzo misses him. (laughs) I love how they chopped out all the, like, irrelevant paid-by-the-word stuff of the Christmas Carol and filled it with, like, Rizzo and Gonzo shenanigans instead. Seriously, it makes it much better. Because once we cut back to Scrooge, he is back in his house in his dressing gown and his cap, which he will be in for the remainder of the film, aside from the last five minutes, because that's how we roll. And he's eating his horrible loneliness meal of bread and cheese in front of the fireplace. And that's when the bell starts to ring. And that's when he hears something else. And he looks over to the stairs, and up comes the Marleys. Of course, in the book, there's only one Marley, but you need both Statler and Waldorf. Yeah, you can't break up the band. (laughs) And so they decided to do maybe the ballsiest maneuver in a movie that already has Bob Cratchit. They named them Jacob and Robert Marley because they like a joke about Bob Marley. 
That's my favorite stealth bit in this whole movie. And it absolutely is a stealth bit. They never call attention to that at all. It's not like Waldorf is doing any like Rastafarian things. Just Robert Marley. And of course they start heckling Scrooge. They also have a song here, by the way. Basically Marley and Marley and their adverse and greed. And they basically talk about how they took advantage of, uh, of poor people, how they how they evicted an orphanage. What I like about this performance of the Marleys is that usually Jacob Marley is portrayed as absolutely mournful and regretful. He is suffering. Everything sucks. The Marleys, however, are not. Oh my god, being evil is hilarious. Look at how mean we were. This is great. Oh, oh, wait. Because they are still suffering for everything they did. But they're still Statler and Waldorf. Yeah. And they're still, of course, covered in chains. That sing. Yeah. The chains sing. The chains have a whole bunch of locks and lockboxes that sing. This is a a really great sequence, like, puppeteering-wise, because, like, on top of the actual puppeteering, there's all that business with the chains. And the fact that Marley and Marley here, they are floating. So we have full-body puppets here. In the middle of the song, they're just like, oh, by the way, three spirits, yada, 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 change. Otherwise, you're going to be like like us or whatever. Anyway, more song. And then they get dragged back down to hell. And their last line is just the mournful wail change and then scrooge is like well that sucked time for bed (laughs) (laughs) meanwhile gonzo and rizzo have climbed to the top of a tree outside scrooge's bedroom so gonzo can better narrate i guess he has to be extremely dramatic when the bell tolls one gonzo screams in his not booming voice expect the first ghost when the bell tolls one and it's very dramatic. <laughs> He's got like his arms spread and everything. And as he does it, the room lights up. And here we get the ghost of Christmas past, which is amazing. This is also probably one of the closest ideas that I have ever seen of interpretations of the ghost of Christmas past. Because like in text, the ghost of Christmas past is supposed to be this like ever changing, just strange, like maybe they're a child, maybe they're an adult, maybe they're a man, maybe they're a woman. It seems to shift. It doesn't actually seem to matter. So they decided to make this like diaphanous creature for the ghost of Christmas past. And this was done by basically uh, operating the puppet underwater and then green screening it onto the footage with Michael Caine in it. And it looks amazing. It looks like nothing else. Yeah, so everything about this puppet is floating and and wafting in the water in slow motion. It's, it's a perfect effect. So we're off to Christmas past. Take my hand, my very wet hand. It's fine. <laughs> Your welfare then, etc. As they're flying away, uh, Gonzo tosses a grappling hook. And attaches on and just grabs Rizzo. Rizzo just starts screaming. Rizzo is having the worst time of his life and Gonzo is like, wee! And this is like my favorite thing because Gonzo can't just go to the past on his own. No. No, he's got to hitch a ride with the ghost of Christmas past. We go back to see young Ebenezer. Don't worry, we're going to cut out like all of the part about like his sister and like the insinuation of child abuse. We're we're not going to do any of that. Yeah, we're just going to cut that and just have a montage of sad Scrooge. And also as Gonzo and Rizzo land, Rizzo's like, oh, thank God that's over. And then a cat shows up and he just looks at the camera and goes, no. Michael Caine also does this really great performance, just especially in the whole Christmas pass part, because this is probably the most difficult thing about Ebenezer Scrooge is that you have to make him kind of likable here. And you have to remember that he was someone who used to experience joy, but he's also still a bitter old man at this point. And Kane does this effortlessly. It's like, oh, look, those are my friends. Hello, boys. Hello, friends. Oh, they can't see or hear me. I'm fine. Look, 
there's me as a very sad little boy. Yeah, we're in the schoolroom and there's this great shot where it pans across like all these Muppet busts of various historical figures like Shakespeare and Moliere. And then at the end of the shelf, it's Gonzo and Rizzo and Gonzo starts narrating again. <laughs> and then, of course, we needed someone to be young Ebenezer Scrooge's schoolmaster. And who better to do it than Sam Eagle? You <laughs> know, <laughs> the extremely American character. <laughs> this is another point where on the soundtrack, Sam Eagle apparently had a song here about doing hard work and being the best. And it's very, very, like, American patriotic in how they scored it. And what's great here is they don't shy away from the fact that he's very, very American. It is the American way. <clears throat> Gonzo actually gets his ear, and instead of fake whispering, you can hear him like, the story takes place in England. I mean... It is the British way. This is like the only time Gonzo interacts with a character and it's the only time that insinuates that like these are actors playing roles. Like he even calls him Sam when he gets his attention. The only thing Baby Scrooge says during this entire sequence is, yes, headmaster. Because he's telling him about business, about how you will love business. Sam Eagle is in this movie for approximately 60 seconds and they are amazing. This is also like graduation day for Ebenezer here for the sake of expediency. This is Christmas Day graduation. He's going to go be apprenticed and learn the ways of business. We move here pretty quick to the apprenticeship, but there's this point as the scene is cutting away. Sam just mumbles to Ebenezer, remember, don't trip the driver. This is the guy Scrooge learned all his life lessons from. And then we switch to another point where Gonzo and Rizzo have changed outfits as they have done so many times so far. And they are now lamplighters. And it's the Fozzywig Christmas party. I can guarantee you that the transforming of Fezziwig into Fozzywig was the joke that created this entire movie. There's also like a stealth joke in here too, where they just offhand mention that Fozzywig runs the rubber chicken factory. And also instead of Fezziwig and son, it's Fozzywig and mom. <laughs> was there ever like a Fozzy mom character before this? I don't think so, no. They just thought it was funny. They didn't want to make a baby Fozzy puppet, so they put and drag instead. We don't need to think about whether or not Fozzie fucks. It is absolutely necessary that we not think about whether Fozzie fucks. It is time for the annual Christmas party, and right before the party, Rizzo has gotten his tail lit on fire. Rizzo's having a really hard time in this movie. They really do just cut out all of the fat of the Charles Dickens bits and just go straight for Rizzo and Gonzo gags. Like, anytime you might be getting bored with the source material, here's more Muppet shenanigans. Including, we have to go meet the party people. Everybody's here for the party it's being catered this is the part where they cram in basically every other muppet they couldn't find a christmas carol role for including the entirety of dr teeth and the electric mayhem and the swedish chef it is a very fancy party animal has to play a triangle and animal hates it he's having a grand old time they made special young statler and waldorf puppets for this and they're up in the balcony heckling of course and then finally we get our first appearance of young hot scrooge hey this scene is is very short, mostly just to say, here's all of the other Muppets. And then also Animal starts playing the drums. And then because it's a Jim Henson production, they go into a ragtime song. And that's, of course, where Ebenezer first off is like, this party is costing money. And Fozziewig's like, it's Christmas. Here, meet Belle. She's a friend of the family. She's also young and hot. She's human. You guys would go well together. <laughs> Scrooge is not dealing with this very well, by the way. And the ghost of Christmas past is like, there's another Christmas with this young woman. And Scrooge is like, no, 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 no. And the ghost is like, yes, yes, yes. 
Yes, here we are. The saddest scene in the entire movie. And the weirdest scene. Because this scene is mostly dominated by a song. Because this is, of course, the Christmas where Belle and young Ebenezer split up because he is, you know, greedy and a jerk. He keeps saying, oh, we can't get married. There's not enough money. Oh, we can't get married. There's not enough money. I love you, Belle. And she's like, you did once. And there's supposed to be a song that happens here. This song was... Absent from the theatrical cut, but present in the extended cut that I have on DVD. Like the DVD I have is like the widescreen theatrical cut and then the full screen extended cut. The song is called Love Is Gone. And this was on all like the VHS releases too, because I remember growing up with this one. Jeffrey Katzenberg, who at the time was the Disney chairman, said this was too sad for young children and had it struck from the record. So in the theatrical cut, the scene just cuts from you did once to Rizzo and Gonzo crying as she walks away. But in certain cuts of the movie there's an entire song that kind of sucks it's slow it's boring but like here's the thing there's this bit here that i will always go to bat for and it's when michael kane is standing behind bell michael kane old scrooge as bell sings and he sings a little bit of a duet with her while he is clearly crying and like his voice is cracking and everything that one bit is worth going to bat for the rest of the song is just Anyway, then she walks away and Gonzo and Rizzo are crying. My favorite thing is that in the editions where that song is gone, like, it's not even in a deleted scene on the Blu-ray. It's just not there. It looks like Gonzo and Rizzo are just crying at how good that sick burn was. And then, of course, Scrooge is sad. And then that's the end of our Christmas past sequence. Don't worry about any of the rest of it. It sucks. What I like about cutting a lot of the extraneous sad backstory stuff for Scrooge is that it crafts the story and refines it so that the biggest heartbreak of Scrooge's life is his own goddamn fault. Yes. Because all of the stuff with his sister is stuff that was like just a consequence and chance and just bad stuff happening. But Belle leaving him is directly his fault. And therefore you feel bad for him, but you also can see that this is a hell of his own making. Which is really the best read of Scrooge is that he is a warped, frustrated old man and it is all his doing that he has become this way. As opposed to, oh, you should feel bad for him because his sister died. And like maybe his dad Dad beat him? Yeah. So we are back in the present. And that was all very sad, but it's okay because now it's time for the most cheerful part of the movie. Yay! Ghost of Christmas Present! This is basically the closest thing you're going to get to Santa Claus because the Ghost of Christmas Present looks kind of like Father Christmas. And he's gigantic. He's huge. Come in and know me better, man. And Michael Caine is actually playing off this puppet really, really well. Yeah. It works especially when they go down to like the puppet that is about his height. So he can actually like look the puppet in the eye pretty well. There's a back and forth with the joking but he's still obviously kind of nervous and it's not like he's not acting opposite a puppet he's acting opposite a person so the ghost of christmas present takes him around to christmas present i.e the next day we are also doing a highlights reel here where it's like we don't have to go see christmas in a miner's house or in a lighthouse or on a boat that sucks (laughs) you don't have any connection to those people charles dickens was paid by the word let's go see the important shit we get the song here it feels like christmas it's it's a very good song but my favorite line of all time in this song is describing christmas as the summer of the soul in december that's a good line it is it feels like christmas is a really good song and it's full of a lot of very good just like this is a warm happy feeling metaphors 
Also, there's some very nice dancers with big skirts that spin up and up and around. And also Michael Caine gets to dance a little bit. And of course, this is a really good version of like musical songs actually informing character change because like Scrooge has sort of gone along with this very nervously, but now he's like, I, I can do the other thing too a little. Yeah, he starts like tentatively dancing along. It's very good. This whole section is just outrageously charming. Speaking of outrageously charming. Time to go to Fred's house. And Fred's with his friends, and they're having a party. His party friends include a couple of humans and, like, some dogs. And his wife. They have all had some songs, and they have all eaten dinner, and now it is time for games. You must have games at Christmas. The ghost of Christmas present loves games at Christmas. They're playing yes and no, which is basically 20 questions. Right, without the bread box question. And Fred, throughout this whole bit, he is very smugly delighted by his own cleverness in a way that actually works for him. I think at some point he's like, oh, it's too good. Fred could be on this podcast. Fred could be on this podcast. Can Fred can be on this podcast? Can we go back to 1992 and get Fred? Oh, shit. He was apparently in some of the Underworld movies. No! Yeah. Anyway. So Fred has come up with a creature that lives in a city. It's not a dog or cat or rat. It is an unwanted creature, not a cockroach or a leech. And like my husband and I playing Dixit, Fred's wife, Claire, immediately figures out what it is. It's an unwanted creature that lives in the city. It's not many other wretched things. Why? It's Ebenezer Scrooge. And this is especially hard hitting because Scrooge has gotten very into this game that he can't actively participate in. So yeah, now Scrooge feels bad. Every single performance you'll see of A Christmas Carol ought to play this as like someone who is finally having fun and enjoying himself and oh no, he's an dick. That's right. You don't just get to decide you're a good person now. You do have to deal with the consequences of your shit. And that's so much of what the Ghost of Christmas present is. This is Scrooge dealing with the consequences of the shit now that he's figured out that he should probably feel a little bit bad about himself. And God, again, Michael Caine plays this just heartbroken. Like, the rug has been pulled out under him absolutely and he's not even there for it. And everybody's laughing and having a good time at how Scrooge is awful. Oof. Why don't we go see the Cratchits instead? Scrooge doesn't even know that this is Bob Cratchit's house until the ghost tells him. There are no right angles on the door to the Cratchit's house. It's all crooked. It's great. And we go inside and there's Mrs. Cratchit. Congratulations. Piggy finally got to get married to Kermit the Frog. Mrs. Cratchit is Miss Piggy. And Miss Piggy has two twin daughters who are also Miss Piggies. And a tiny Kermit son. And Piggy can't keep track of who is Belinda and who is Bettina. And then Rizzo falls down the chimney and lands on a flaming hot goose. Right, because they're chimney sweeps now. And finally, now that we've seen everybody getting ready, we hear coming home from church, Bob Cratchit and his son, the wretched Tiny Tim. Played by Robin. Of course it's played by Robin. Tiny Tim gets off his daddy's shoulders and gets down on his crutches. Everybody's excited to see daddy because it's Kermit the Frog and everyone loves Kermit the Frog. He gets crushed against the door. By his two strong pig daughters. And then his pig wife. Who is about to smother him with smooches. I think my favorite thing about the Muppets that I think has kind of been lost in some of the more recent adaptations is the fact that Miss Piggy is very clearly in love with Kermit, but Kermit is also very clearly in love with her back. It's kind of a big Barda thing. It's very good. With the weekend all have a big strong pig wife so uh, tiny tim i hate tiny tim i've hated tiny tim and always always tiny tim suffers from incurable case of tiny tim <laughs> people have tried to look back on this and wonder exactly what it is it suggests that it's something like rickets is what tiny tim has but no charles dickens just like what's the saddest thing 
and then just kind of wrote that. So it's a little boy with lung trouble and uh, has to use crutches. And aside from that, we don't know. We don't know what Tiny Tim has. No. Disease-itis. Charles Dickens just kind of made something up. It's an unfortunate case of the inspiring disabled person trope, the inspiration porn trope. Charles Dickens wrote some real misery porn here. Meanwhile, Tiny Tim is about to lose his entire mind over a goose (laughs) to the point where I can't hear Christmas goose anymore without hearing like, the goose, the goose. (laughs) He's just so sickly sweet in so many ways. And Scrooge is very clearly charmed by this child. We all are, apparently. We turn God Bless Us Everyone into a whole song. And, you know, actually, this song really works. It's interesting because this movie has exactly one mention of God, and it's in God Bless Us Everyone. But this song is so much of, like, a prayer. But it's a very nonspecific you. Yes. They're trying to be non-denominational with this. So there's, like, no mentions of Jesus or anything like that in this movie. But it's also, this song is very clearly a Christmas prayer. <laughs> I, I imagine there's a lot of Jim Henson's personal philosophy in this, even if this was after his passing. It just seems very much written from a particular perspective of someone who has thought a lot about what their personal beliefs are and what their personal philosophy is. Yeah, it works. It's a good song. Pam, I'm going to need you to not chase your feeder ball around directly under my microphone. <laughs> Ma'am? Ma'am? Excuse me, ma'am. Ma'am? Ma'am, can you take this elsewhere, please? There, it's gone. So we have this song. We have this meager Christmas dinner by this family who loves each other very much. We come back to the ghost of Christmas present, who is very old now. Yeah, he only lives one day. And Scrooge asks him if Tiny Tim will live. And the ghost is like, I'm the ghost of Christmas present, you dumb f***. (laughs) But probably not. Yeah. Like, look at him. Have you looked at him? He's got a terminal case of Tiny Tim. It's a subset of plot contrivance. Oh, God. And now it's time for the scary part of the movie. The ghost of Christmas present walks him to the cemetery and sits outside the church. And he's like, well, I don't live very long and I'm out of time. So we don't have to do the thing where I show you my children under my cloak because it's very weird and very off-putting and doesn't actually add anything. So we're going to skip that part. I'm going to disappear in sparkles instead. Ho, 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 ho. And then Gonzo and Rizzo pop up to be like, oh, God, this part of the movie is really scary. So we're going to dip out. Yeah. We'll see you at the finale, folks. They're shredding up hiding inside the church on hallowed ground where the ghost of Christmas yet to come cannot find them. It's like that bit in Muppet Treasure Island where Rizzo's like, he died? This is supposed to be a kid's movie. (laughs) This is where we meet the ghost of Christmas yet to come, which is maybe one of my favorite incarnations of the character. He's creepy. He's this like eight foot tall grim reaper looking motherfucker. Inside the hood is just a hollow pit of nothingness and all his proportions are wrong. His head is so big on the rest of his body. It's absolutely unheimlich and it's wonderful. They made a scary puppet. And we do the thing that they do in every Christmas future sequence where it's like, oh, let's go out listen to these people talking about this poor wretch who died right before Christmas and how nobody actually liked him. Except this time we're talking to some random dudes who are um, a bunch of the pig characters. So they're like, oh, yeah, he died. That sucked. Let's go eat lunch. 
<laughs> and then it's this really creepy scene with like a spider dude named Old Joe who's like being given stuff looted from the house of the guy who died. Including the blankets off of his body because he was just laid out in his bed. They're still warm. It was the only warmth he ever had. Sick burn. And then we go to Bob Cratchit's house because the ghost takes him there and then Scrooge is like, oh, Bob Cratchit's house. This will make me feel better. Oh, wait, no. Oops. Everybody's sad. We have like the whole Christmas scene again, except everyone is very, very sad and quiet. Emily Cratchit, aka Miss Piggy, is crying over Christmas dinner. Yeah, because guess what happened? Oopsie doopsie. There's a crutch alone in the corner. Oh, God. He's been buried on the hill so he can watch the ducks on the river. You know how Tiny Tim loved the ducks. Yeah, and despite the fact that I find Tiny Tim an inherently contrived character, I still cried at that part. I know. It's like, that is selling it in and of itself. It's a good scene. These Muppets are really good actors. Tiny Tim is terrible, and yet we can actually feel sad about this grieving family. It's, that's some magic, frankly. And now we do the graveyard scene with Scrooge. This bit can always feel a little contrived because, like, we all know Scrooge died. We all know this is what happened. Scrooge knows Scrooge died. But a lot of people, when they play this Scrooge, will be very, like, in denial. But Michael Caine plays as, like, someone who is trying very hard to be in denial, but he's not. Yeah, he knows. This scene, it is literally just him on a set with a puppet that doesn't talk. And doesn't have a face. And he's doing all of this acting work. It's amazing. He is crying. He is so frightened here. He is absolutely pleading to not have to go look at the tombstone, but he knows that he has to. And he's doing all this basically by himself. Like, they talked about how really hard it was for Ian McKellen to play Gandalf, especially in The Hobbit. There are, like, photos of him on set that is basically a big green screen with the table and then there's a whole bunch of light fixtures with like actors faces stuck on it having puppets completely changes that because you're actually acting opposite people but like it's that kind of thing where like ian mckellen basically had a breakdown because it was so difficult to be by himself and michael kane is basically doing the same sort of thing except he has the advantage of like being on an actual set and having someone there who doesn't have a face and won't speak to him. I remember I was watching some kind of making of thing about Farscape, which was also the Jim Henson company. They did all the aliens for that. They were talking about the advantage of puppets over CGI, and they said, the thing about a puppet is you can touch it. And once you have that, the actors have an emotional connection to the character. CGI looks great, but humans interact with puppets so much better. We are so more willing to treat a puppet as a person, as an individual. Yeah, they're actually a character that you can play off of. So Scrooge finally looks at the gravestone, and of course it's its own name, and he is more frightened than he has ever been in his entire life, and he is begging the spirit, grabbing the spirit's robes, begging, please, 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 let me undo this, let this not be my future. And then he wakes up at home, like the John Mulaney bit. <laughs> and he's clutching the bed curtains, which are still here, by the way. They haven't been torn down by people looting his house. And this is probably the second most difficult performance for an Ebenezer Scrooge, I have to imagine, which is, I'm not dead. I'm not dying. I love life now. Yeah, he's kind of like restlessly pacing around his room. It's very good. He's as merry as a schoolboy. Light as a feather. He doesn't know what to do with himself. Gonzo and Rizzo are sitting on the windowsill talking about how, hey guys, we're back. We promised we would be. And then Rizzo's like, hey, should we move? And Gonzo's like, it's the end of the movie. What could happen now? And then Scrooge throws the windows open. And they both go <laughs> flying. And of course, there's Bean Bunny who flinches <laughs> when Scrooge catches his attention. What day is today? Why, it's Christmas. 
Christmas Day. So Bean Bunny is told to go buy the prize turkey in the window, the one twice as big as him. Because he is much tinier than your average child. <laughs> and then Scrooge appears to wish a Merry Christmas to all the world. People are just out and about and Michael Caine is here and he's wishing everyone a Merry Christmas and he's so cute. Yeah, he goes and sees Bunsen and Beaker and whispers an amount of money in their ear because that's what you have to do in movies when inflation's a thing. <laughs> you just have to know that it is an absurdly high amount. What you get from their reaction. Bunsen and Beaker are completely overwhelmed. Bunsen is like, I, I wish I had something to give you. And then Beaker. <laughs> Beaker has a little scarf. A little red scarf that he takes off because it's a removable piece and gives it to Scrooge, who is absolutely touched by this tiny scarf that he can barely get around his neck. It's adorable. He's just been handed a tiny scarf from a puppet that doesn't actually feel cold, and Michael Caine is able to make that feel like he has been given a remarkable gift. And now it's time for Thankful Heart, which is, I'm pretty sure, one of the best songs in this movie. Michael Caine is clearly not super great at singing. He kind of barely hits these notes sometimes, but he has thrown his entire heart into it, and it shows. Also, with the love is gone cut, this is his first song in the whole movie. That's true. In the theatrical cut of this movie, Scrooge only gets to sing when he has embraced Christmas. Oh, that's wonderful. He's a whole song about how much he loves Christmas and he is going to value other people and treasure their contributions to this world. And he will always be grateful. As he's marching around town giving presents to people. He has little tins of coal for each of his bookkeepers. He goes to Fred's house and gives them presents. He goes and sees Sam Eagle and Mr. Fozziewig at the retirement home. They made extra old Sam and Fozziewigs for one shot. I also like really love how charming Fred is absolutely like flabbergasted by Scrooge's like fly in hug and a kiss here's a present love you we don't usually see Fred like be absolutely like shocked in this sort of thing but here he is he's like what the hell just happened? And Claire is just delighted. And now we go to the Cratchit house where Scrooge pulls kind of a dick move. I don't think this is a funny joke that he does. I don't know. I do like how he gets very excited and waves everybody away down the street to hide. I think it's Bean Bunny with the goose who's right behind him as he's trying to like center himself. And then he turns like, no, shit, shit, go, 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 go. But anyway, Scrooge uh, knocks on the door. Cratchit appears, Kermit appears. And Scrooge makes like he's going to scold him for not being at work and then... Miss Piggy comes in and starts to be like, I'm going to fight you, Scrooge. And then Scrooge is like, oh, and by the way, I'm going to raise your salary and pay the mortgage on this house. And he's like, would you like to join me and my friends for a little turkey dinner? Which is, by the way, uncooked. They've probably been cooking that goose all day. It's fine. It's fine. Don't worry about it. The turkey's fully cooked by the time they're actually having Christmas dinner. It's fine. Don't worry about it. And I don't think they invited any of the turkey Muppets. <laughs> I don't think they did. I think one of the turkey Muppets is in attendance. They have this little refrain of the love is gone and it's instead called the love we found. But the thing is that like if you kind of squint and turn your head to the side a little, it just sounds a little like bless us all. So you can just pretend it's not actually in this movie. And then Gonzo does his closing narration about how tiny tim didn't die and scrooge became a second father and scrooge became as good a man a good a master and as good a friend as the grand old city ever had and that's the end folks goodbye gonzo and rizzo wave at the camera and say goodbye as it pulls out to the city like some other character They're like goodbye thank you have a good time we love you goodbye when did we stop ending movies like that that's good seriously we don't need dance parties we just need everybody to say goodbye we love you then the song starts as we're over the rooftops and it's a 
reprise of It Feels Like Christmas, but also the Ghost of Christmas Present is like addressing the audience now that the movie's over. There's also on the soundtrack a power ballad version of When Love Is Gone, but I don't think they got to use that one. We don't have to talk about it. Martina McBride did it. I mean, didn't she do like 90% of power ballads, honestly? I feel like she did. Anyway, Muppets. Yeah, Muppets. I love them. Muppets are really good. This is probably one of the best versions of A Christmas Carol, too, because it takes out all of the fat, like, here is a whole bunch of extra stuff about looking at other people celebrating Christmas, because it doesn't matter. And instead, it puts Muppets in it. This is a really bleak story. How do we make this watchable? Muppets. I still think my favorite part is that they came up with original puppet designs for each of the ghosts. I would say that Scrooge definitely has the most solid, well-crafted character arc in this movie out of any of the Christmas Carol movies because they managed to trim out all the fat. And Michael Caine really sells that gradual shift in his perspective, like, really well. Like, you really see that growth from... Oh my god, that's right. I used to experience joy as a child, too. Oh, oh shit. Oh, bye, Belle. Oh, <laughs> damn it. Too. Oh, Christmas can actually be fun and people are actually enjoying themselves. Man, I don't have any of this. Should I have some of this? Oh, oh, wait, I'm a dick. There's just nothing bad about this movie to me. I mean, The Love is Gone isn't very good. No, but they don't talk about The Love is Gone at all anymore. I'm just so full of Christmas cheer now. Yeah, I'm going to have It Feels Like Christmas stuck in my head all day. Kit, what's your final fact? I'm going to reiterate the thing that I said before. If I could burn my entire life to the ground and go make Victorian costumes for Muppets, I'd go do that. Mac, what's your final fact? I'm going to quote Michael Caine here. Just treat everything in the world as if you're acting with the Royal Shakespeare Company and life will be better. Annie, what's your final fact? You know, I've been trying to think of one, but I just... Muppets make me happy. That's a good final fact. Muppets make me so happy. And Jim Henson was a universal force for good and his legacy is one that brings joy to people every day. And that's a pretty good goal to shoot for. Also, the world needs more ragtime music. I don't think I can back you on that one, but okay. Well, hopefully we didn't have to do anything to convince you guys, but we have absolutely proven the undisputable fact that Ebenezer Scrooge is at his absolute best when he stars opposite Kermit the Frog. We're going to need a little bit of an emotional buffer between Garzy's wing the next time. We'll be back with you with what Kid assures us is a very good idea. Hey, remember when we uh, reviewed Snow White and the Huntsman? Well, now we're going to do the sequel they did. Huntsman Winter's War. And we will be proving the indisputable fact that you have to let Chris Hemsworth be charming, goddammit. I'm looking forward to it. You know, I'm just interested in seeing Chris Hemsworth on screen. Does he take his shirt off? Yes, he does get his shirt off in this one. He actually gets quite a bit of his kit off in this one. I'm in. I Will Fight You comes out every three weeks, wherever you download podcasts. You can find us on Twitter at GemJamCast and on Tumblr at CrookedRussianCam.tumblr.com. If you want to support us on the internet, you can do that with a like, rating, comment, subscribe, wherever you'd find us. If you want to support us with dollars, we are at Patreon.com slash TheGemJam, where for a couple bucks a month, you can support both this and our other projects, which are excellent. I'm really looking forward to more Gem Jammer coming out. Also, if you guys want to give us a Christmas present, there is a charity called Rainbow Railroad that helps LGBT people escape persecution. Please donate to Rainbow Railroad. There is currently a crisis going on in Tanzania and a lot of people who are asking for help. Is this where we do the Muppet outro? Goodbye, we love you. Goodbye, Goodbye we, love we love you. Until next time, dear listeners, I'm Annie. I'm Kit. And I'm Mac. And we have fought you. Oh.